All right. Well, again, we pivoted last week. I, I want to say well done, everybody. We were at a park. I thought it was a beautiful day for that. We'd been in a sermon series that we are now just going to finish up this week. We've been exploring some well-trod prayers just to see if some of those might offer us a few more tools for connection with God. Next week, we're going to start a new series. And in that one, we're going to do a little bit more of like zooming out, taking a look a little bit, kind of taking stock about what's happening in Christianity right now in the U.S., talking about what happens when some of our big sort of meta stories about Christianity start to break down, like what's kind of breaking in in the meantime, how we see ourselves as a community of believers in this time. I think it'll be really helpful. Um, I'll spend a week talking about TFAM. It's like network that we joined this last summer, and I wanted to wait to talk about it just because people are still on vacation in July and August, right? So we'll do a little bit of talking about that one week, um, a little bit about some of the neo-monastic communities, like the Celtic retreat stuff that's going on. So anyway, I think it'll be really good, and we'll, we'll start up on that next week. This week, we are going to end with a prayer that is really dear to my heart, and it's one that some of you may also recognize. And that prayer goes like this. Watch, O Lord, with those who wake or watch or weep this night, and give your angels and saints charge over those who sleep. Tend your sick ones, O Lord Christ. Rest your weary ones. Bless your dying ones. Soothe your suffering ones. Shield your joyous ones. And all for your love's sake. Amen. Is that familiar to some of you? I know Dave, a few of you. So that's a prayer that's from the Book of Common Prayer and also part of the Divine Hours, which are books that are used in something called Fixed Hour Prayer. So before we look at the prayer itself, I thought it might be helpful to briefly just talk a little bit about what Fixed Hour Prayer is, in case you haven't heard of it. Um, maybe it's something that you could add to your tool belt of possible tools. So, I'm sorry, my godson is actually over here, so I wanted to wave. Most of the major world religions um, have a form of Fixed Hour Prayer, where they pray at set times during the day. So many of you are probably familiar, right, with um, like the Muslim call to prayer, where they pray five times a day. So for a few years, I actually lived in the Muslim world. The city where I studied in Western China was about 40% Muslim. And so that just kind of became part of the backdrop of daily life for me. So the largest mosque in Central Asia was in that city, and then there were mosques that sort of dotted the neighborhoods and so I came to really love that sound, right? And it was just sort of the backdrop of daily life. And then I went out and I studied with some Tibetan Buddhist nuns. And so in the monastery where I stayed with them, they had set times of prayer and meditation and chanting. The Eastern Orthodox Church tradition used fixed prayer. So do Catholic monasteries. And then our Anglican Episcopalian friends here, they use something called the Book of Common Prayer. This is my only copy of that that Ken gave me, actually. So they use the Book of Common Prayer. Um, and then a dear friend of ours, Phyllis Tickle, who was a lifelong Episcopalian who prayed the prayers from the Book of Common Prayer, she updated those to be a little bit more accessible in a series of books called The Divine Hours. So this one is just the autumn and wintertime version. There's also a springtime and summertime. You can see this one's a little bit ragged because there was a period of my life where I prayed these very faithfully um, through the day. I know some of you have prayed the hours for more than 20 years. If you've known Ken for any amount of time, you know Ken is a very big fan of the divine hours. Um, for me, I, I'm a little less structured personally, so I go through long periods of time where I don't. 
Um, but I had some times of my life where maybe I was in a little bit more, um, like my life was a little more chaotic, sometimes when I was a little bit more depressed, or I found that structure, that framing, to be a little bit helpful. Right, so fixed hour prayer is a way that humans throughout history have just marked time, and it's a way that we've built prayer into our daily routines throughout a lot of different religions, because I think that humans are wired for connection with the divine. So the uh, Christian tradition of praying at set intervals through the day finds its roots in ancient Judaism. And so we see some hints of that practice in the Bible. Right? The psalmist describes praying seven times a day. The prophet Daniel prayed three times a day. I put those verses on the, on the page, but I won't read them. By the time um, of Jesus, we know that the Jewish people who were in Roman-occupied Palestine, they prayed in conjunction with the ringing of the Roman bells. Right, so throughout the Roman Empire, bells would ring in the major cities, and that would help to mark the flow of people's days. Right? So it was kind of like having a big public clock. So they'd first ring at 6 a.m., and that was like your, your wake-up bell, and it signaled it was time to rise. That was called the first hour or prime. And then they would ring again at 9 a.m., third hour or terse. At noon, they'd ring, and you'd know it was time to go have a lunch break. We might call it like a siesta time, um, where people would go off from work during the hottest hours of the day, go home, maybe nap, maybe eat, do whatever they want. And then the bells would ring again at three, and that would call people back to work. It was called the ninth hour. And then at 6 p.m., they would ring telling people that they could go home for dinner, and that was called vespers or the evening hour. And so the Jewish people who were living in the Roman cities, they adapted that schedule for their fixed prayers. And so they would either stop where they were when they heard it, and they might just breathe a little prayer to the divine, or if they could, they would sometimes go into the local synagogue, or if they were in Jerusalem, they might go up to Jerusalem in the big temple to pray. And so while we don't have any direct evidence that Jesus followed a really strict prayer routine of praying five times a day, it does seem that at least some of his disciples followed this kind of schedule, at least loosely, which tells us that Jesus probably did as well. Right? So in the beginning of Acts, we're told on Pentecost, that day when the Holy Spirit came down and the tongues of fire and flame came, that happened at nine o'clock in the morning. And so presumably they were praying their third hour prayers. And then in that following chapter, we're told that the first miracle that happened after Jesus left his disciples took place when Peter and John were walking up to the temple in Jerusalem for their three o'clock prayers. So Acts 3.1, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon. So that'd be ninth hour prayers. And then later when Peter has his famous vision of the clean and the unclean foods that came down out of heaven that changed his thinking about the Gentiles, he says he was in the middle of his noontime prayers up on the roof of a house. Right? So all of this is to say is that what's called praying the hours or praying the offices or fixed hour prayer has a long and deep history in both the Jewish and Christian traditions. And that's been passed down over the centuries and embraced by monastics and mystics and just regular people all around the world. So in the Pentecostal evangelical tradition that I grew up in, um, I suspect like the reaction that would have happened in my church growing up was they just would have like poo-pooed that whole idea of like pre-written prayers, things set on a schedule. I mean, like how can you let the spirit move, right, if you're doing that? But I think just like little do they realize just like how mystical and how Pentecostal praying the hours can actually be. And so the hours, there's a couple of pictures that I'll leave you with and then we'll look at the prayer. Um, one that I've always found helpful is the idea of it being like a cascading waterfall of prayer around the world. 
right, where people in one time zone are praying the noontime prayers and then people in the next time zone pick that up and then that's followed and cascades on with the entire world just passing it around like an Olympic torch. And when we do that, we can, we can remember that this is something that is being prayed, not just by us, but we're connected to people who are saying the same prayers in India and England and Namibia or wherever we may be in the world. I know Phyllis used to also describe it. She's like, it's kind of like getting onto the internet. She's like, the internet is like this unseen place, but we're all in different parts of the world and we're like dialing in and we meet up in that place. And she's like, praying the hours is a little bit like that, where you're joining people in this sort of ether, this other space. Uh, maybe it's a generational thing, but it was more helpful to me to think about it like meeting up for people for like a video game. You know, a little bit like Halo via Halo or something, right? Or World of Warcraft or something. Um, but this invisible dimension where we are praying alongside others. So the prayer that I read is widely attributed to St. Augustine, who lived back in the 4th and 5th centuries, but it almost certainly was not written by him. It actually pops up just a few centuries after his death, and probably somebody scribbled his name on it to make it seem more, you know, important <laughs> or something. Um, but that prayer is part of the compline portion of the hours. So the compline is like the before bed part. And so I find it helpful when I think about the compline prayers to remember that most people throughout history have gone to bed in a world without electricity. And it seems so simple, but it's, it's, a, it's a different um, orientation to the nighttime. Right? So Christian compline prayers come from a time where people used candles and torches, fires in the hearth to light up the night, right? In a time that the world was draped in shadows after sunset, where homes were chilly most of the year, where if you needed urgent help after dark, you may or may not be able to get that, where wild animals would hide in the dark to prey on the farm or to come and to find scraps in the village and where notions of demons and ghosts and other nighttime beings were very real concerns for some, if not most people. And so I think we can get a little bit of a taste of this if we go like backwoods camping, right? Or if our power goes out, which seems to happen like five times a year here in Michigan, right? You know, during the ice storm last winter, Rachel and I lost power for 10 days in that in that freezing cold time. And we had friends with, you know, whom we could stay, but we were going back to the house three times a day because we have a cat that we love. And so we were going there at night and um, we're walking around with, I've got two kerosene lanterns and candelabras because I've got a thing for candelabras. I think they're so cool. And so we're walking around with our candelabras and it was kind of amazing to me that even like in our own house where we know that we're safe, but like going down to the basement to fetch something, it feels creepy, right? And you're not sure, like what's lurking down there? That's the world of watch, O Lord, with those who wake or watch or weep this night and give your angels and saints charge over those who sleep. And I know nighttime is not always eerie for us. I have times when I've gotten up in the night and probably you have too, where like it's maybe just softly snowing or... If you're camping and you go out and the sky is just filled with stars, like it can be a really peaceful time. Sometimes it's not creepy or peaceful. Sometimes it's just a time that we have some heightened grief or heightened anxieties. Um, and so it can be sort of an anxiety-ridden time depending on the season of life you're in. And so I wasn't going to tell this, but I mean, this is a little embarrassing, but when I first moved up here 25 years ago after college, I used to get panic attacks in the middle of the night and I lived on my own. 
And so I would wake up and it would just be terrifying. And I'm like, well, what if I die? And nobody knows where I am. So I'd go to Meyer and walk around, right? Ah, oh, nighttime can be anxiety-ridden if you're prone to anxiety like I am. And so this idea of the creator watching alongside those who are up for whatever reason they're up is meant to be a comfort to us, right? Just knowing that our God doesn't go to sleep, but is there keeping us company. Reminded me of Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The Lord will not let your foot slip. They who watch over you will not slumber. Indeed, they who watch over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So like many of these well-worn prayers that we're talking about, they're prayers that we can either like pray through quickly or we can linger over them, and like use them as jumping off points to just go a little bit deeper in our prayers. So a couple of weeks ago when I was first writing this sermon, I was just kind of talking with Rachel in the kitchen and I was telling her about which prayer I was going to do. And I was like, oh, you know, you know, the one that's like, watch the Lord with those who wait or watch or weep this night and give your angels and chains charge over those who sleep, then your sick ones. And she just looks at me like she's doing now. It's just like, you're just talking really fast at me. <laughs> I don't know that one. And I was like, oh, I thought you prayed the divine hours for a time. And she's like, no, I used a different occultic form of fixed prayer. So she wasn't familiar with that one. But I'm like, oh, I can rattle this off really fast because one, I just prayed it so often. Um, and two, because sometimes even that's how I prayed it, right? I just wanted to like get through my nighttime prayers. And I was doing it just to pray it routinely because when you pray something routinely, it eventually just kind of ingrains in your mind and your heart. Probably like some of you have experienced with the sorrow prayer here. Even if you don't pray that on your own, God be in my head and in my understanding, God be in my eyes, right? It becomes kind of part of who you are, and it's something that you can then access at a time where maybe you need it, and maybe you weren't even expected to sort of come. So I think having a few prayers that are just kind of part of you can be really helpful and really comforting. Right, so uh, sometimes I would also pray this prayer, and I would pray it just more slowly. And so what I would do when I slowed down is I would just use my imagination and just picture the creator sitting with people, and then I would just picture the people in front of me. And I would just lift up people who I knew were awake in the night. And so maybe they were awake feeding a newborn, which at the time when I was praying this really routinely, that was both of my sisters. Um, I would pray for people who I knew might be up because they were in pain. One of my best friends has insomnia and has for many, many years. And so I would pray for her, knowing that she may or may not be awake at night. I'd pray for people working the second or the third shift. You know, there's an earlier version of this prayer. It might even be the one in the Book of Common Prayer. I didn't look, but it's keep watch, dear Lord, with those who work or watch or weep this night. And I kind of like that version, those who work rather than those who wake, even though both of those fit. You know, and so you can pray for people working, people who are awake, do both. In the time that the prayer was written, keeping watch was a really important job. You know, you had people who watched the gates of cities and they'd watch for like miscreants who were coming in and out of the towns. Or they'd watch for intruding armies or they'd watch for predators who would come and eat their food sources. And so for that portion, since we don't really have like gate or tower watchers now, I do things like pray for 911 dispatchers. Pray for hospital workers, pray for security guards. You know, my grandma Swan, not the one turning 100, but my grandma Swan was a nighttime security guard for a hospital for many, many years. And so I think about people like her who are up in the night. And then you pray for people who are weeping, the grieving, the sad, the desperate, maybe people who can't sleep because they're up detoxing. And just imagine the God who is with us sitting with them so that they feel a little bit less alone. 
And then give your angels and saints charge over those who sleep. That's maybe a little bit harder for those of us who are, you know, 21st century people. Because this prayer, it dares us to believe that when we go to bed at night, in our regular beds, in our houses, that we're actually going to sleep in a universe that is filled with mysteries and with amazing things. That there's this crowded, unseen reality. There might be dimensions that we can't access in our present human state, and where people who have died before us, our loved ones, perhaps live on. Right? That's how I imagine death anyway, as sort of this meshing of many dimensions to which we gain access. It's like we're breaking free of this four-dimensional confines. Um, that that's something that, um, that maybe the people that we love before us will be able to meet up in that space. And so this prayer invites us into a world where God made not just the concrete things in front of us, you know, the whales and the maple trees and the, the river and the different flowers, but also angels and all sorts of other things that we might not even know about. And so we ask for something kind of wild. And that that's that God would send these super powerful beings that we can't quite imagine, along with maybe the people we love who died before us, to come and to watch over us while we're fast asleep and drooling on our pillows. I don't drool, you drool. <laughs> it reminds me of a quote from Doctor Who, which is a British sci-fi show that I have a love-hate relationship with. But the doctor who's the main character, he's a, or he or she, they are a uh, time-traveling alien. The universe is big, it's vast, and it's complicated, and it's ridiculous. And sometimes, very rarely, impossible things happen, and we call them miracles. Right? And I think that prayer captures a little bit of that spirit. And then, tend your sick ones, O Lord Christ, rest your weary ones, bless your dying ones, soothe your suffering ones, shield your joyous ones, and all for your love's sake, amen. And I think that's pretty self-explanatory in terms of how it can be used, right? Praying for sick, the weary, the dying, and the suffering. But the part that I want to note that I really like is this idea of God shielding our joy, right? Because we all know that there is suffering and sadness in this life alongside the joy. And those seasons that you have where you're just like, I, I almost don't want to breathe lest anything move, but everybody I know is healthy and happy, and my job's going well, and the bills are being paid. Like, could this just sort of could this just stay? And so it's this prayer of just like, oh, Lord, could you just temporarily protect this joy and elongate it? Just, Lord, let it make it last. Let it last. And then do all of this for the sake of love. And I like the prayer because in the end, the darkness isn't explained. Night isn't reasoned with. It's not resolved. It's just faced and it's accepted as it is until the light comes and overcomes and the night is no more. And I think the prayer only makes sense to pray if there's a God who loves us, right? And so in that way, I think it's an act of faith to pray it. So even if you're like, I'm not sure if there's a God who loves us, sometimes I just pray it as an act of hope and an act of faith that there is a God who is watching and who cares. So with that, we'll have a little time here, and I think we'll do some guided meditation. Sometimes we just do silence, but we haven't done a guided meditation in a while so you don't have to do this, you're, just, you're invited to if you'd like. Feel free to relax your shoulders a little bit, maybe take a couple of deep breaths. We'll start out, I'll just invite you to picture yourself in a place that feels just safe and peaceful to you. So if you've got a place like that, whether it's real or a place in your imagination, let's just rest in that place for a moment. 
And as you're resting there, just imagine the Creator or the Divine Spirit of love, however it is you imagine that, just coming along beside you. If you're sitting, maybe they sit beside you. If they're not embodied, maybe they just surround you or nearby. And then we'll just take one portion of this. Maybe just name in your mind um, anyone you know who is suffering and just ask, soothe, soothe the suffering. And maybe just hold that person or maybe a series of people up before this spirit of love. And we'll just take a minute to do that. Soothe the suffering, Lord. The Holy Spirit, we ask that you would bring comfort to anyone who is suffering this day. We also ask that you shield the joys that we have and that we carry. Um, just say thank you for the sunshine. We say thank you for the beginning of a new school year. We ask for your blessing on all of the students and all of the teachers and everyone going back. We just ask that your spirit would be with us as we carry on into this week. Amen.